Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving a game recap of the Thunder Golden State Warriors game. Going to be talking about Tony Bradley and I'm also very briefly going to talk about the NBA standings. So just getting right into yesterday's game, got the Thunder going up against the Golden State Warriors and the Thunder They were already ice cold heading into it. I mean, they already lost their last seven games by really big margins. All of them, double digits. Some of them, you don't even want to discuss how large they were, but they were just not in rhythm. And they actually had a bit of a seedling two nights ago against the Utah Jazz because Lou Dort erupted for that 42-point game. If you want to hear more about that, just check yesterday's podcast went down and broke down every single one of Lou Dort's major plays, offense, defense, stuff you just didn't see in the stats. I talked about it, broke it down on my website as well, kylesingler4mvp.com. Please give me a new domain name, but I, I checked it on both of those. So if you want to learn about that game, just tune into yesterday's episode, but you didn't even have Dort in this game, and you still didn't have SGA and Poku. He is still out with some shoulder soreness, so... You had to find a number one option, and you had it in Dort last game. Couldn't really spark anything in this one, so it did get a little bit rough. Oklahoma City, in the first quarter, did a pretty solid job combating the Warriors. It started out really slow. I'm talking everybody was kind of just coughing up turnovers for the first four minutes, and Golden State, they were only up a point through the first four. It was five to four. And then everybody kind of just settled in, and it turned into a three-point shooting contest, pretty much. And Golden State, when you check down who they have on their roster, you just got to look at Steph Curry. You know, they're going to be shooting really well from the three-point line. Forget about Klay Thompson not being with them right now. They got Steph. So they just kept going shot after shot, making the OKC Thunder pay. They went 6 of 12 in the first from outside, and Oklahoma City... They tried to return fire. They tried eight threes, but only two of them went in. So that's already 12 points going in favor of the Golden State Warriors. So Oklahoma City, whenever they kind of figured out that the shots weren't going to go in their favor from downtown, they started working inside, but it was a little bit too late for them. They had Kavon Looney and Draymond Green splitting time at the five position in the first because James Wiseman, he's he's really done for the year with his injury so they didn't really have a true center and Oklahoma City they kind of got in stride at the end just attacking the basket so they weren't down a lot they actually shot a really high percentage 57 percent in the frame but they were still down because they just could not stop the three-point shootings they were down 36 to 32 entering the second that's not a big deal you can easily overcome that seen it all the time in NBA games four-point lead literally nothing that can change in about 30 seconds so you saw in that second quarter kind of exactly what was going on in the first where golden state they were just rapid fire chucking up threes while the thunder they wanted to carry on their excess the success they had inside so they were just charging right into kavon looney and trying to make at least free throws or just make something happen from there because they couldn't generate the threes as well and it didn't work out for them because golden state they were able to get a double digit lead just four minutes into the second, and it came off of two back-to-back threes from Jordan Poole. Just stepped up right wing, swished them both. He had a little bit of coverage on one of those threes, but 
I mean, he he got right to his spot, and there was really no stopping from uh, from the Thunder. So they went on a 13 to four run just in that quick four minute span, and they kind of kept going with it. They got the second unit plugged in, and one major issue that has kind of happened with the Warriors has been that without Steph Curry, the second unit has been terrible. Like they cough up the leads. That's kind of why they're kind of sneaking into the play-ins right now because they don't have that kind of primed backup unit or a really solidified starting group outside of Curry. So this the second unit really has been kind of their Achilles heel. It wasn't like that at all. In the second, they all came in after you saw Poole make his shots, and they kept the run going with the exact same sort of tempo. They kept just pushing the pace, had a 25-10 run at its peak, and Oklahoma City, they found themselves down 19 points. And they got some sort of hope back because they got Moses Brown in the game. He was going to the basket at 7'1". I'd almost consider him seven foot two. That's what I thought he was until I heard the PA announcer say he was seven one. But he's tall. And he was just kind of brute forcing his way inside, got a layup, and then he also got an and one. Very nice job. I think he sidestepped a defender and then absorbed some contact for his shot, hit the free throw. So you dwindle it down. But Golden State, they weren't done after that. I mean, they kept going beyond that tape to try to get three points, and they were making a vast majority of them they got up as large as 27 in the second and at halftime they were up 21 points 75 to 54 so that's already when you kind of get in the danger zone with the thunder we've seen some large comebacks from this team i believe they had about a 28 point comeback earlier on in the year i think it was against the bulls but um that was with sga and everyone was there it's a bit different now with him gone but it can happen. You can get those kind of comeback games. And you saw it in the first game of that back-to-back set because Utah, they were down 17 points in the first quarter and they were able to win pretty easily. You know, until that tail end of the game, they were up a steady 20 points. So tides can change. You just kind of have to go immediately at it in the third quarter whenever you get that chance from the halftime break. And it didn't work. Golden State got Curry in shoot threes, live with the results. They got a 30-point lead a few minutes into the third, and then about by that midway mark, they had a 40-point lead. That's kind of when you you can't really think of a comeback scenario there. That's a little bit too difficult of a mountain to climb with, what, 18 minutes left in the game, and it just got even worse because they had a lead as large as 44 just like with a minute left in the in the period anyway. So there was not a lot of hope left for good reasoning. I mean, they were able to end the period on sort of a high note because Jerome got two free throws and hit them both. So they were only down 42 entering the fourth quarter. They were down 125 to 83, but that's still pretty bad. I mean, they got outscored 50 to 29 in the third and Steph Curry almost single-handedly outscored the whole entire Thunder team in those 12 minutes. He went a perfect 8 of 8 and 6 of 6 from downtown to collect 25 points. He was making the game out to be like it was 2K. No one was able to stop him. You know, he was just pulling up, taking his threes. He was coming off of screens, just doing whatever he needed to to get open. 
And when you got Steph Curry kind of just sprinting around the floor and he is in the zone, there's not really a good way to stop him. He is just one of those players, one of the most electrifying players probably in NBA history, like at least from beyond the arc. He's a real problem when he gets hot and he just felt himself in the third and you know, OKC, they tried to cover him. They didn't really get any super heavy contests on him. Maybe like one the entire third, but it was over. So he was able to put the shoes up. He didn't even have to play in the fourth, as did most of the Golden State Warriors starters. The Thunder, they rolled out Moses Brown for a decent part of the fourth. I don't remember if Baisley got in. If he did, really tiny part of the um, part of the fourth, but... A lot of the guys that you were seeing Dagnalt kind of list were the second unit guys who maybe wouldn't be playing as much if Poku and SGA were back in the rotation. You saw Ty Jerome, he played almost the entire fourth. Jalen Horde, he played a good part of it, and so did 10-day contract signee Justin Robinson. So they got their shots up. The Warriors, they got their guys in. I think they were able to get like 12 people out on the floor in the game, and you know, they kind of, Gary Payton, the second was getting time. I think he's on a 10 day. And then you had guys like Nico Mannion as well playing. So just those players who aren't typically going to be suiting up for the Warriors, they got the time that they needed. And they were actually pretty impressive. Like Gary Payton had 10 points in nine minutes. So that's just how, you know, from top to bottom, the Warriors were feeling it. They ended up winning the game by 38 points. 147 to 109. When you look at who did the best for both sides, Steph Curry led the charge with 42. I'll definitely have to go back to that one in a second because of how wild his night actually was. But you also had guys like Andrew Wiggins, he had 16. Bazemore, he had 15 points as, as a starter. And then Draymond Green, he had a triple double of 12 points, 10 rebounds and 16 assists so he was all over the place helping out he already had his triple double by the third quarter and he was kind of set to go they really didn't have to worry about the the starters in that fourth as I mentioned but off the bench they also had some firepower Jordan Poole he had 17 points on the game and Gary Payton kind of wrapped up the double digit leaders with 10 points when you look at how the Thunder did Obviously, there was a bit of a drop in production when you check the sides because of the point difference, but Darius Baisley, he was pretty good. I mean, he had 22 points on 10 of 18 shooting, had eight rebounds to go along with it. The major thing with Baze was he wasn't feeling it from three, and his inconsistency has been a real problem. I'm not going to say that I can draw anything up here because he only went 0 of 3. He didn't try a lot from downtown. But he hasn't really gotten the surefire green light from distance where you can say with him shooting a catch-and-shoot triple or him pulling up, you know it's going in if no one's guarding him. That's just not how it is with him right now, and he he has ways to go. But luckily, he, he can actually help out in other ways. I think as a slasher, he's already very good as a power forward, probably top in his position, definitely top in last year's draft class. Obviously, Zion Williamson is number one in power forwards when it comes to driving to the basket. He might be number one in the entire league. But Darius Baisley, when you go in the pecking order of the draft class, is one of the better guys there. 
he was able to just drive right around Draymond Green and put up layups. So he was able to go 10 of 15 on shooting twos. All 10 of his makes came around the rim. And he also got two free throws that he ended up burying. But beyond that, not any more 20-point scores. Moses Brown was good with his double-double. Second one in a row, so he had it on Tuesday. Had it again yesterday with 18 points and 12 rebounds. Seven of those came on the offensive glass. And Tony Bradley was right behind him with 13 points and seven rebounds. Four of those came offensively. And as I mentioned... I'll be talking about Tony Bradley in its own segment, probably in the later half of the episode. But those are the main guys. You had three other people who dropped double digits in Sfima Kailuk. He had 14 on 6 of 11 shooting. Teo Maladone had 11 points in 31 minutes. Ty Jerome had 10 points in 21 minutes. But the hitch was he only shot 2 of 9. So he had to get a lot of points from the free throw line. So the point was, I mean, they just couldn't really find that number one guy. And that's the key point. When you're playing Steph Curry or whoever it may be, you're going to need a number one option. And Darius Baisley helped out, but it wasn't like Lou Dort where you just put him in ISO spots and he'd kill you every time. It wasn't that consistent. And that's why they ended up falling in such inglorious fashion Wednesday night. But for me, just breaking down how this looks from a standings perspective. So Golden State with the win, they actually hopscotched the San Antonio Spurs for the ninth seed in the West. So Warriors are ninth and the Spurs are 10th. And that's pretty big when you take into consideration how the play-in tournament is going to work. Seems like everybody has kind of not been a fan of it, at least player-wise. It was great last year. I think the implementation of the 7 through 10 might be a little bit wonky. And just because the season is kind of so condensed, it hurts a bit. But I don't think either of those two teams should even be complaining about the play-in because they're the ones benefiting from it because they wouldn't likely be in the top eight seeds by the season's end. You never know, though. We've seen some hot streaks from both of those teams. But Golden State, they're 27 and 28, while the Spurs are 26 and 27. So just barely edging them right there. And the same goes for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And their goal right now is not really winning games. I think that is something that has been well known since SGA went down. And as we've started to see more and more games where the Thunder have lost by 20 plus points, 30 plus points, even going over the 40 mark a couple of times. We're not new to this. I mean, we know that we are in a position where picks will become major. I mean, our roster is so young to begin with, and us having super high odds entering the lottery night is ideal. You want to be able to get a top five pick in the class because in a typical year, all those top five pieces and Cade, both of the Jalens, Jonathan Kuminga and um, Evan Mobley, they'd all be either a one or two pick in most other recent drafts. So this is really the one you'd want to be not tanking in, but you're not going to be upset if you lose a couple games here and there. And that's what the Thunder have been doing. So they've improved their reverse record standings a lot since they started losing. This was the eighth straight loss for them. And now they are fifth in lottery standings right now. They barely 
got over the Cleveland Cavaliers because the Cavs, they actually won their game last night, so they moved back in the standings while OKC just barely slipped by. Right now, the Thunder are 20 and 35 on the year while the Magic are 20 and 34 or Cavs, I don't know why I said Magic, but if the Cavs lose their next game, you get that, you know, tiebreaker situation again. This is really going to be a deal where everyone's kind of stuck. There is such a tiny gap between the 5th best lottery odds and about the ninth right now. It is a two-game separation. The Oklahoma City Thunder, they're six and a half games back of that first spot held by the Timberwolves. No way Thunder is able to even get up there. They can lose all the rest of their games. They're not going to do it. And then something they can do really easily is just go to the ninth um, ninth best lottery odds because the Kings, they're only eight and a half games back. When you look in between who is kind of sandwiched there, the Cavs, they are just a half game back from the Thunder, seven games behind. And then the Washington Wizards and Toronto Raptors, they're eight games behind the first spot. So it's very, very close. So every single one of these wins really is going to mean much more than we've typically seen on this season. Whenever the Thunder were going crazy, I think they went on a 9-1 spurt sometime this year. It didn't seem like we would be in a situation like this, but now you know, losing our last nine to 10 games, being in the worst or at least tied for worst streak in the league. There's real hope here that we can stay at that fifth spot. And if Orlando somehow gains traction, we could get into the top four. Now that is a lot easier said than done because Orlando, as we know, they don't have anyone like Nikola Vucevic to enter a game, drop 30 points, have 20 rebounds, and carry them. That's kind of gone. They don't have a surefire star anymore. And even Aaron Gordon, who at times could go off for 20, he's out. Evan Fournier is out. Who's their main guy? Their leader is Terrence Ross, and it's just surrounded by a ton of young pieces. So I don't know exactly how many wins they're going to accumulate by the end of the year. And it's a two-game gap between us right now. Orlando is four and a half games behind the number one spot, while OKC is six and a half. But a couple games where you could maybe flip the script, they could get a win, we get a loss. You could try to get there and hopefully attain a top four selection entering lottery time because it is a major jump. I mean, when you go from the fourth spot to the fifth spot in the lottery standings, you're losing out a big chunk of a potential top four pick and a number one overall pick because the Orlando Magic, they would have a 48.1% chance of cracking the top four spot right now, while the Thunder at five, they only have a 42.1% chance. And when you look at that number one overall pick, Orlando would be getting that one out of every eight lottery spins 12.5% while the Thunder, they're down 2% from that at 10.5. And on paper, you know, a 6% difference and a 2% difference may not mean a ton. But when you kind of crank down the mathematics of it and you start simulating, it is a pretty big difference. And then you got to factor in what goes on with the other teams. And it gets a lot tighter because like I talked about the Cavs, the Wizards, Raptors, and Kings, they're not out of the hunt just yet. So it's not just a two-man race for that four spot. It's about three, four, hell, even five if there's a surprise team that might sneak 
into the area but it's gonna be straight up cutthroat and I think that's really what you watch for for the remainder of the season I think that now with the Thunder moving on they only got 17 more games left it's gonna be even more dramatic and I think the final like five games are almost gonna be must watch TV almost for the exact opposite reason of why you would normally watch basketball like instead of cheering on your team you'd kind of be in a phase where you're like no don't make a shot damn it but I mean we've only had to get to those stages maybe a couple times this year it's going to be coming through more and more often as we approach the final regular season game and once draft lottery time comes around it's going to be probably our biggest night of the year. Like that is the night we've been waiting for. See what happens with the Rockets, our pick. As of right now, the Miami Heat, they're kind of stationary. We would end up getting their pick at the 16th slot if the season ended today. So a little different on where everything could land, but you know, we'll, we'll see how everything shakes up. But just going back on how everybody did in the game, as I mentioned, Steph Curry was impossible to guard. He has been on a tear in the month the month of April. Like he has averaged 39.9 points a game. Might as well round it up to 40. And he broke the average. He got above that against the Thunder, dropping 42 points on 14 of 20 shooting. But it gets even worse. He went 11 of 16 from three. So he only tried four attempts in the mid-range or right below the paint, either or. He made three of those, but just everywhere from him. It was just a shooting clinic, and he could not miss. Mark Dagnall talked about after the game that Steph Curry is not just one of the best in the league right now, but potentially one of the best players ever, like in a literal sense. That's what he said. And, you know, when he was going at it for three quarters, it was very hard to contain him. Very obvious there. And even when you had the other people alongside him just raining down threes like Kent Bazemore imagine that him hitting three triples in the game Jordan Poole went a perfect four of four and Gary Payton went three of four that adds up a lot and they end up hitting a season high 24 made threes on the game they only took 47 shots to get there so they shot above 50 percent from downtown and if that's ever going to happen with the Warriors you know it's over because they shoot high volumes from three in Oklahoma City they just were not able to find the basket they went seven of 27 from distance so a little over a quarter percent of the time you saw shots flying in but their bread and butter was really the the paint painted area and it was cool like they were making a lot of points there but you couldn't recover the ground and If there was one positive, I would say it's how they played under the basket. Moses Brown had 18 points. Tony Bradley, he had 13 points. And pretty much all of their buckets were coming from going inside. I think they got free throw attempts. Like two, two of those points came off the line. But they were just working right inside. And they were just abusing the fact they didn't have a certified center and James Wiseman to play. So they won as a team 70 to 50 in the points in the paint area. But it just completely got overshadowed. That's just how it was. And they were a little bit careless with the ball too. They had 12 turnovers in the game two days ago. Well, against the Warriors, they ended up having 21. That is a bit better than what they did against Philly. I think it was 23. But you just can't have turnover numbers going into the 20s and expect to come out with a victory. Like the Warriors, they only had 14 on the game. 
and they shot the ball 95 times. So they had a lot of extra possessions to kind of work with, and they didn't really fumble the ball nearly as much. When you look at the free throw line, the Thunder were doing a good job still getting to their spots there. I mean, they tried 25 attempts, only hit 14. That's only 56%, by the way, where the Warriors got there 23 times. They were still just absolutely insane. They shot 19 to 23 for an 83% conversion rate but it is what it is you can just keep reading the numbers it kind of points completely into the golden state warriors favor i didn't check this but this may be a league high on the year they had 39 assists for 52 field goals made for them where the thunder they only had 22 for their 44 so it just tells you what they were doing i mean just extra pass after extra pass it looked like they were playing with the Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Splash Bros out there, except Curry was kind of by himself. He didn't have that sidekick, but other players just really rallied around him and made it work. So you move on. You got your next game against the Detroit Pistons tomorrow, and that's a game that you could actually win. This was, I'd say, two or three weeks ago. I forgot exactly how long ago it was. We played the Detroit Pistons, and I believe this is when we saw Dort go down, potentially. And the talk of the town was, who is going to be able to step up? And are we going to be able to win a game against the Pistons? And the the answer was, maybe. Like, this would be the game for them to come out with a W because the Detroit Pistons, they're not really steady on their feet right now. They have the third worst record in the league at 16-39. and 39. So if there's a team to abuse, it'd be them, but it didn't work for us. I think we got blown out by like 24 points or something close to that. So you get a second shot, a lot different from when we played them last time. We didn't have Dort. We didn't have Baisley. Now you get both of them back, assuming that Dort is cleared out of the injury report. It was just for maintenance reasons that he didn't play against Golden State. So I'd assume he'd be fine. And hey, you might get Poku back as well if his shoulder is able to heal up you don't want to just thrust him into action too early when it's a shoulder injury I mean we saw with Bayes he had his shoulder contusion and it took him out for well over a month I mean we got him back this week and we didn't see him you know um, past that all-star break so don't rush anything with Poku we may not see him but we'll kind of see how everything fills out you're gonna have the Pistons going on and then you have three more road games before you return to the peak and it's going to be pretty major on how they do because all of the teams that they're going to be playing are not that good. And if you get four straight losses there, you're going to improve your lottery odds. And some of these teams that you're fighting with, they're actually going to be, be a little bit pushed out of the race, which is kind of a double whammy, if you ask me. I'll go into all the details on the road trip in tomorrow's podcast, I promise you. Just kind of want to keep a brief there. But it's something that you should monitor. Another thing you should be monitoring is Tony Bradley. And as I talked about, I'm sorry for skipping around a little bit, but Bradley, I mean, he's looked pretty good with the team. And it's had to do with his role under the basket. And Bradley, we got him as a guy we kind of knew what we had, like just a traditional big man, six foot ten, somewhat lengthy when it came to his wingspan, can reject shots didn't have crazy athleticism, but he gives you good positioning on the boards, is able to feast there, and he's able to give you putbacks, 
doesn't have much of a jumper to him, but just a very traditional guy that you can fill in and he'll give you solid minutes in a secondary role. And that's exactly what he's been doing for the roster right now. And I think even more than what we quite frankly expected from him, when we traded for Tony Bradley in the George Hill trade, I mean, yeah, it was obviously a net win because we saw him as a project, but I don't know if we'd consider him a project right now because as he has played games with the Oklahoma City Thunder this year, he has completely flourished in 10 games with the team. He's averaging 9.1 points and 7.2 rebounds a game, playing under 20 minutes a contest. And when you read in between the lines on where he's getting his rebounds, over two of them are coming on the offensive side of things. So he is feasting below the rim. And he has turned into kind of the Moses Brown of the second unit. When we had Moses Brown hidden in the bench behind Al Horford for a few games, we saw Brown drop double doubles and we saw him get really active on the glass because the second units in the NBA generally don't tend to have players with his traits. Super athletic, super tall, super lengthy. You don't see it a lot and he was able to abuse it. He moved up to the starting role and he's still having good games. Don't get me wrong, but just not as solid as usual. And then with Tony Bradley, he's actually kind of slipped in for Moses Brown's spot where he has that advantage where he's tall, he's able to get rebounds and you know, whenever he's giving the ball off a of dump offs or whatever, he kind of has clean looks and he'll just take it. So he's worked really well there. And it's something that's been talked about by, I believe, Mark Dagnault, that he has really good hands. And it's true. That's what was said for Brown. That's what was said for Bradley. We've seen Ty Jerome and him really just click together whenever they are on the court. I mean, you see Bradley setting high ball screens. He'll roll. Ty Jerome will just run to the baseline and he'll be able to kind of thread like a three foot pass into Bradley's hands. His defenders kind of caught loose and he's able to make them pay with a dunk or just he'll simply push it up and in. Six foot 10 doesn't have a lot of distance to go. So not a lot of rejections coming on his part. And even defensively, I really liked him. He's averaged 0.9 blocks per game. When we talk about what his future holds with the, with the team, I don't know if you can draw that up at least for right now because we need to know what goes on in the draft. We have his rights entering free agency. He's going to be a restricted free agent, 23 years old, coming off of probably his best stint of his career, and that's coming in a Thunder jersey. He'll offer some sort of market. I can guarantee you of that. When I'm going price range, I don't even know where to start. But there would be a contract sitting just as a bench guy again. And I'd say if we don't find anyone in the draft or any trade pieces at the big man spot, Bradley still would be a very viable option for us. Is he going to be the number one target entering the offseason? Probably not. I think if Evan Mobley falls to us on the board, if we're like at four or five or whatever the case is, we would go ahead and take him. Like, I don't know if we'd favor Mobley over someone like a Cade Cunningham or Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Kuminga, but center's clearly our biggest need, and I feel like Sam Presti would probably want to pull the trigger on a guy like Mobley who really can do just a little bit of everything, though if he went with one of the other four, it wouldn't be any sort of 
issue at all. Like they all should be pretty decent projects for us to mess around with. So we don't know what happens, but when he hits the market, you could see him exchange hands, maybe not. I just say enjoy the ride because he has looked like a very solid contributor for us. And I don't think it would just last for this season. I think he does have some longevity to him. As I mentioned, when he first came over in our trade, I saw him as a journeyman, just bouncing from team to team. That's really where I still see him now. Like, I don't know if he'd ever be a starter on a game to game basis, but he can definitely start when there are injuries that kind of force him to be in a situation like that. But long term, I don't know. I still think he's going to be one of the better backups in the league to where he's able to hang on for a good eight, nine years, maybe even more than that. And hey, he's already four years in. And seeing as how he's kind of improved year by year, there's going to be another contract, presumably multi-year, that he'll be able to take and continue with his future endeavors. So I've really liked what I've seen from him, and I've liked what I've seen from everybody. I think that the way this roster is structured, everyone gets ample opportunities to kind of flourish. And because of that, we've seen guys like Tony Bradley, Svima Kyluke, Roby, Kendrick Williams come out of the woodwork and play really good and kind of secure themselves of an NBA future. So it's been a very fun process to kind of monitor throughout the regular season. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.